So today we're studying the section of Pinchas. Um, it actually begins at the end of last week, the story with Pinchas. And it starts again, we start off again talking about Pinchas. We'll talk a little bit about the story, but I want to talk about today. There's a, a tremendous lesson that the Rebbe learns and... Um, and that has to do that, unfortunately, sometimes people have a tendency of being critical of what other people do. Um, people try to find sometimes fault and say, ah, you know, he's doing it, material motive, doesn't really mean it, they're finding fault. I told them once that there was a... Um, um, this was a like a Purim joke for Purim. So they had like this... Hi, Aileen. So they had like this... Um, by the way, um, Sarah went to... Um, she went to uh, Portland for a couple of days. Uh, Mimi's having some surgery. Nothing serious. So she went, she asked her to come home. So I just took her to the airport. So she'll be back next week. So she went look for 10 days. She was just here a couple of Yeah. Okay, no, there's nothing serious. But she's... It's a scheduled procedure that she needs to do. It's nothing. Sure. Yeah, but she just so she just left. I took her to the airport, but I figured I missed the class so many times. I'm not going to miss it again without her. We'll see about uh, next week. Maybe we'll. She's not going to be back until Thursday. It's not scheduled, so we'll see what happens over there. Yeah. Hello. Okay. So I told him once a story. This is like a porn joke, but it's very. Um, I think it's very real in a way um, so they have like this they're looking for a database they're, they're making a database and they're making a database people to lead the services in the, in the temple and they're asking everybody to sign up so that in case they need somebody to serve as to lead the services so you have to sign up what you can do Oh, this one says, you know, I know how to pray the morning services the other one says I know how to do the afternoon services this one says I pray Sephardic, I pray Ashkenazi, I, I pay quickly, I do slow, you know, all kinds of options. It's like a million options. And then there's one option over there which says, you know, that he says, no, none of the above. All I know how to do is to criticize. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's some people, you know, it's, um, it's a lot easier. Um, it's a lot easier to be critical and to criticize than to actually do something. You know, to do something takes effort and it takes um, uh, devotion and you're talking about the elections right <laughs> <laughs> well that too it's in every aspect of life actually and very specifically actually sometimes you know people try to do things like do a mitzvah and or do something uh study something and and then you know you'll come you know you'll say eh you know they're just bragging they're just show offs you know they're just trying to to show off they're not really you know they're 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 doing it for an ulterior motive so we're going to talk about we're going to see we're going to talk about both aspects of it um why that is wrong why we shouldn't why we should not discourage or 
negate anything good that somebody else does. Don't look for reasons to disqualify another person to say. Always give them the credit for the good that they do. This was one of the things, actually, before I read the Rebbe's talk over here, actually, I remember the Rebbe speaking it many, many years ago. I remember a little bit. But before I read it uh, before the class, this was my father's always uh, guidance to me. He would always say, you know, don't get involved in disagreements. He says, anybody who does something good, give them the credit for what they've done. Don't, don't try to find reasons why what they did was, was not good and that their uh, deeds are not good. And the Rebbe happens to discuss this. So the Rebbe explained both things, why we shouldn't look down. Also, what is the reason that people have a tendency? Why do we naturally sometimes have a desire to put somebody else down? What, what causes us to do that? What is Well, the, yeah, it's wrong. But somehow, naturally, sometimes we try to find fault with the other person. Why, why are we inclined? What is... Why is it that way? And also, we're going to discuss and we're going to see that it's sometimes very hard to tell by what you're doing. Is it what you're doing? Is it a kindness? Or is it really cruelty? In other words, you can dress up what you're doing in various different cloaks so that it appears to be extreme cruelty but in the end, it will be kindness. Just, just giving an example that comes to mind, which is not the discussion over here, but somebody not knowing what's going on in an emergency operating room and goes in there and he sees you know, operating on someone without knowing the uh, background, what the doctors are doing, to him, it may, to her, it may seem cruel what they're doing because they see... They're cutting somebody up. There's all blood and everything else. But in essence, they're healing the person. So you can do sometimes an act which seems cruel, but it's really the greatest kindness. But the reverse is true as well. That um, sometimes an act which appears to be like the kindest act, or, you know, to give you know, the keys of your car to a child to go ahead and make an accident or to allow a kid to cross the street or whatever, you know, you know, you can do something which seems to be so kind, but in truth is, it's the most dangerous thing. That's not kindness, that's the worst thing. So a lot of times we have to, we have to sort of, we have to sort of be very diligent and very careful to really know that which we're doing. Is it really good? Is it really a kindness? Or is it really a cruelty? And it's very hard. Thanks for coming and making the extra effort. Thank you, then. Hi, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome. So, um, kindness is based on the impact of the act. It's, well, kindness is something which is in your heart, that you're, you're a good person. Sometimes you're a good person. Sometimes there are people that are cruel people. I mean, if you read the news, what happened today with the person going in and just, you know, claiming, you know, these just cruel gangsters, you know, they're just worse. Some people are just, 
based on their religion, whatever it is, they, they, they do what they do. But it's a very difficult sometimes to tell. And we'll talk a little bit about the Parsha, because the incident that we're talking about is not a very pleasant incident. But, you know, the, the incident of this week's Parsha that we start off is not a very pleasant incident. And it's something which some people will question. They will say, well, this is, seems to be inappropriate, especially by our standards today. But of course, we have to know that today we cannot apply these rules. I will tell you a little bit about, uh, and we're also going to talk about intermarriage. We're going to talk, that's what the parsha talks about. Why, and the reason why the Torah says that, and mainly it goes for uh, a, um, a Jewish man not to marry a Jewish woman. That's the main, because if the, in either case, it doesn't matter, but in either case, but uh, the case that the, the point in case that the Parsha talks about, okay, let me just not get ahead of myself. Let's just give, give you a little bit of the background of what took place in the story in this Parsha. So what happened in the Parsha, what happened like this, uh, the Jewish people were traveling in the desert and they finally, after 40 years in the desert, they finally came to the other side of Israel. They're right outside of Israel. Now there were all the various different nations that were settled on this side of the Jordan River. And in order to get into Israel, they have to cross the Jordan River to get into Israel. And it so happened that all of these nations that were sitting there refused to allow the Jewish people to cross. The Jewish people asked them only to pass through their territory. They said they weren't going to do anything. They're going to buy. They're going to be good for the commerce. They're going to buy the food from them. They're going to buy the water from them. So they offered them. They weren't going to hurt them. They won't. They told them they're going to go in the straight path. They're not going to go in the fields. They're not going to ruin anything. They're just asking permission to go. They all refused to uh, let them go through, basically. There were two the mightiest, the strongest of the nation of there was Sichon and Og. And they were giants and they were uh, strong and they were actually there to protect all the other kingdoms that lived around them. They came to wage war against Israel, against the Jewish people, against the Bnei Israel. So the Bnei Israel actually conquered them and eventually also inherited their land as well. So before they actually went over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, the actually Israel, they actually took over those places from those people who waged war with them and they took it over. Now then we learn about an incident with the king of Moab, whose name was Balak, and that was two parshas ago. And he saw that the Jewish people were being victorious in an unnatural way. Because the greatest and the toughest kings could not stand up to the Jewish people. So they realized that there is something spiritual about, it's not just their physical might, but it's something spiritual. So they went and they tried to hire Bilam. Uh, Bilam 
was a non-Jewish prophet. And as Rashi explained, that in order to give the world a balance, just like the Jews have a prophet, the non-Jews should have a prophet of theirs. But it so happened that this Bilam was not just a prophet, but he was also a anti-Semite, who was actually even more of a hater of the Jews than the Bullock, the one who hired him. Bullock hired this Bilam, who was a prophet and who had some spiritual powers, he hired them to curse the Jewish people. Bullock had previous experiences with Bilam that his power in his curse can actually do damage and he wanted them to he wanted him to curse the Jewish people. So we learn in the portion of uh, of Balak, we learn about the very different story, but we learn about various different attempts of Bilam to try to curse the Jewish people. They all failed because actually he gave them the best blessings. His his curses turned out to be the greatest blessings of the Jewish people. So that a lot of the blessings that we say every day, like in the morning, we say, Yisrael. those are part of the Bilam's blessings. Bilam ended up blessing them, and Balak was furious with him, and he says, I hired you to curse the Jewish people. What did you end up doing? You ended up blessing them. So he was furious with him. But yet, Bilam told him, I'm going to give you an advice. Yes, true, I wasn't successful in cursing them. But I'm going to give you an advice how to get back at the Jewish people, he says. He says, I want you to know that the God of the Jewish people, Hashem, he hates promiscuity, he hates relationships that are not sanctioned in a kosher way. He says, you should get the women, the Midianite, the Moabite, the Midianite women, you should get them to entice the Jewish men. And if you can succeed in that, then the plague will come from Hashem by himself then we don't have to curse them. They will just be punished. God will be a plague of them if that's what they're going to do. Now, it's interesting to learn that one of the things why the Torah is so strong against intermarriage, why, the reason, it's a very interesting logical reason. The reason is because they may draw your heart to their religion away from your religion. Because when you marry somebody from another a religion so then and they have other beliefs so then if you intermarry then you might be drawn away from Hashem that is the logical reason and uh, actually as we see in this story in the Parsha that it's not only that they had uh, intimate relationships with the Midianite and the Moabite with the women over there but on top of that, they went and they followed their idol worshippers. And as one of the examples that Rashi brings down, and it's from the Talmud that brings down, that when they would you know, entice the men, and when the men were uh, ready to 
they would take out their idol from their uh, pocket or from their pocketbook. And they say, I want you, if you want me, you must first hug and kiss the Avodah Zorah. And that's when you're going to sh- believe. You're going to change the belief. So it was all related. This prohibited relationships has also to do with the fact that they do not, are not introduced and they're not made and they're not kept separate in the sense to keep the Jewish religion separate. But in any event, he succeeded in what he did. He succeeded. And therefore, God brought a plague on the Jewish people. Not only that, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu uh, himself you know, instructed the Jewish people that they should take action against those that were doing it deliberately, those who knew, those who were warned, as the Talmud and Rashi brings it down. But now there was a great plague on the Jewish people. So what happens is, as Rashi explains, uh, there was the tribe of Shimon. The tribe of Shimon. Of the Tun tribe, that was the second of the tribes. Uh, his tribes, his uh, people of his tribe came to Shimon, to the leader, and said to uh, the leader, his name was Zimri. Zimri was his name, Zimri Ben Solu. They said to Zimri, why are you sitting quiet and you see that we're being punished by, the, by, by Moshe Rabbeinu for our relationships, we're being punished, and you're sitting quiet not doing anything about it. So Zimri said, okay. So he went, and he took a Midianite woman who was, her name was Kosbi Basur, quoting the verse. She was like one of the uh, princes of the, the daughter of one of the high of the Midianite uh, families. So he brought her in front of all the Jewish people, in front of Moshe Rabbeinu. And he says to Moshe Rabbeinu, is she permitted? Am I allowed to be intimate with her or not? Tell me yes or no. If you're going to tell me no, he says, well, you yourself married the Midianite woman. Remember, Zipporah, his wife, was also the daughter of Yisro, who was the Kohen On, who was the a Midianite woman, who allowed you to marry Zipporah. But I heard Pinchas's mother was also... We're going to get one second. Yeah, well, go on ahead of yourself. Okay. So he says, who allowed you? Now, of course... Zipporah became part of the Jewish people. She converted and she became part of the Jewish people. It is different status. The Torah allows for others to join. If they accept God and they accept the religion, then they can join. The Torah doesn't want to have intermarriage with people who are not of the same faith. That is the objection. So, in this case, this Midianite woman wasn't converting. He just wanted to be intimate with her even though she didn't convert and they actually in front of all the people they went into the into the room and he was going to he had intimacy with her he was trying to prove now he did it why and there is even an idea as the Rebbe rings down he did it seemingly out of kindness why because his 
tribe and all the people around him, they were complaining to him that we're being punished. So he was trying to protect them by arguing and saying, no, look, even the tribe, even the leader of the tribe is doing that, that it is okay. You know, he was trying sort of to defend them and saying, no, don't blame the people. You know, I'm the leader of the tribe and I'm doing it as well. At that particular point, Pinchas took action. What is the action of Pinchas? Pinchas actually took a spear and he killed them both. He killed the man, the leader, Zimri, Zimri together with this Cosby Bastur to kill them both. Now, is that a law of the Torah that you're allowed to kill? The answer is no. Again, this doesn't apply today, so <laughs> this, we're talking about it according to in those days when the rule of the Torah was the, was the rule that, that people went by. But the rule is a very interesting rule. It's a very unusual rule of the Torah. Normally the Torah says yes or no. You're allowed to do it or you're not allowed to do it. But sometimes it's a rule which is called Kanoim Poiginboy or Halacha Vein Murdenkain. It's a law, but we don't instruct to do so. If somebody comes to ask, you don't say. But people who are zealots, who are zealots, who are taking on the vengeance of God, can do so, are allowed to do so, are exempt from punishment if they do so. Pinchas, he saw that the plague, and it says 24,000, a lot of Jews were dying because of the plague. He was trying to stop the plague, to turn back God's anger from the Jewish people. So what he did was he took action, which was allowed on the Loha, and because of that, this week's parsha, God says to To Pinchas, I'm going to give you my covenant of peace. You're going to become a Kohen because you turned away my anger from the Jewish people. I was angry with the Jewish people, but you turned away my anger. Now, the verse goes back a second time in our verse, goes back and tells us that Pinchas was the son of Elazar, the son of Aaron the Kohen. Pinchas' father was Elazar, and Elazar's father was Aaron. Aaron was Moshe's brother. The Torah tells us, Pinchas ben Elazar, Pinchas the son of Elazar, ben Aharon Akoin, the son of Aaron the Kohen. That is the lineage, ben Elazar, ben Aaron, the son of Elazar, son of Aaron the Kohen. Rashi says like this, that the tribes, and this is the, Rebbe, the way the Rebbe interprets it, the tribes were taunting, and they were degrading Pinchas. And they said, the Jewish people said, what did you do? They said. What were they saying? They were saying, Pinchas, how could you do something like that, what you did? What was their argument, what they were saying? Look, they say, all the Jewish people are there. Moshe Rabbeinu is there. Everybody is there. Why are you the only one, you Pinchas, are the only one that is standing out of all people? Why... This is a disrespect to Moshe, and this is a disrespect to everybody else. Pinchas was not even a Kohen. He was just an ordinary, he was part of the community. He was just like everybody else at that time. Later on he became a Kohen. At that time he wasn't a Kohen. He says, why did you stand out 
why did you are the only one that took the action? Why did Moshe Rabbeinu do anything about it? Why didn't anybody else do? Why did any of the other leaders do anything about it? You have a right to do so? He says to them, you know what? Your motives are not entirely pure. You know what you did? What you did over here was something, part of your nature, that you are a cruel person. You are a cruel person. Because they said to him, look who your grandfather is. They went to him, he said, look who your grandfather is. He says, your grandfather was one who used to stuff these calves before they would slaughter them for the idol worships. When you go ahead and you stuff a calf for the entire feeding them very well for the purpose of slaughtering them, that's an exceptional cruelty because it's what you're doing, sort of doing something good but your intention is later on not for their good. That is even more cruel than just, you know, shechting. If you just shecht is one thing. But that means you are doing good and you're trying to shecht. So they said, the argument to Pinchas was, he says, your motives, you think that you're so pure that what you did is a positive thing. Yes, you may have the right, and it was maybe, but you had other intentions over there. That wasn't just a pure intention. Therefore, God testifies and says no. That you should know that he is also, just like on one side, his mother's father was Yitro, who used to stuff the calves for the Zorah. His father's father was Aaron the Kohen. Now what's special about Aaron? Aaron was an exceptionally good person, on the other hand. And Aaron, it says, when Aaron would see that there were people having a disagreement, when there was a fight going on, he would always be the first one to try to make up. He would try to get the parties to make up. He would even sometimes bend the truth a little bit. So like he would go, like the Medrash says, he would go and he would say to the one person, he would say, you know, I heard you're one who's fighting you. I heard that he said he really feels bad that you're upset at him and he really wants to ask you forgiveness. Oh, and the person said, in that case, you know what? I'd like to ask him forgiveness as well. And then he would go back to the other person, tell him the same story, and then they would become friends. He would do everything that he could to bring people together. It says he wasn't just, he loved peace, but he would seek it out. He would work very hard. Unfortunately, we can use some irons in our days mm-hmm. to people, to bring people together rather than getting people, making people apart. We have to try to get people together. So basically, what God was saying to, in the verse, he was saying, no, no, no. What Pinchas did, even though it was an act of cruelty, but what he really did was because of he's a descendant of Aaron from his father's side. It was because of his kindness. It was an action that he took, I said before about the operation, seeing 
God's anger and seeing all the destruction that this sin was causing to the Jewish people, the action it took wasn't because he was cruel by any stretch of the imagination, wasn't the contrary. It was because of the kindness, just the opposite. Even though it looked like what the Zimri, the leader, was doing was a kindness because he was trying to protect the people of his tribe who came to complain to him that they're being punished. So instead of telling the people, do teshuva, in other words, repent, turn to God, ask forgiveness, he'll stop the plague, he said no, he's going to be, he's going to actually defy and he's going to show, no, what you're doing is right, that's not real kindness, that's not real goodness, that's like telling a child who's misbehaving and giving in to them and telling them, okay, it's okay what you're doing and in that case they're continuing to do what they're doing and it's not in their benefit, it's not for their good, it's something to their detriment. So trying to be good and trying to help them and trying to uh, love them the proper way but if you don't put the right uh, discipline or the right uh, boundaries in place then what you're actually doing you're actually causing them to further go ahead and do what they're doing and it's no benefit to them I mean if they're going to come home and they don't have to do their homework and they don't have to do any, any chores, they don't have to do anything and they don't get good grades and then they go back and then they hang out with the wrong kids and then, you know, it could happen a lot of, that's not good for them, that's not a kindness. So, expectation from the tribe, from his tribes, when they were complaining they were being punished, so instead of, I tell you this, like this story about you know, there was once a, uh, uh, Janice knows the story probably, but I know because she comes to my other class every morning, so. So this fellow uh, who was um, a um, very nice, nice fellow, uh, just a charming, great, just beautiful, nice, kind person. He'd go, on, you know, for a couple of drinks into the bar, you know, just to, you know, take a little drinks. But the problem is, every time he drank a little bit too much, his mind would become famished, he would become crazy, and he'd become violent. And he would do, you know, as unfortunately we know, sometimes alcoholics, people who had unfortunately uh, encounters like that, can tell you that it can be very, very destructive. So he would become destructive. Now, every time after he behaved that way, he would break stuff, he would hurt people, he would do crazy things. Every time when he, he apologized like a million times. He really felt bad because he was just the, under the influence. When he was uh, under the influence, he couldn't control himself. So he felt really bad and he's apologized. So one time the bartender says to him, look, enough with your apologies. He says, I've, uh, I've had enough apologies. Now on, I don't want you to ever see you again unless... You bring me a paper that you have gone through a training uh, for ab- alcohol abuse, but you're not going to do it. If you can bring me that paper, and then I'll let you back in. Other than that, don't come in. True enough, he doesn't come back to the uh, 
to the bar for a year. After a year, comes back, he shows the paper, the guy lets him in. Sure enough, he has too much to drink, he goes crazy again. And then when he comes back, when he comes to, the bartender says, didn't you, um, you just show me the paper, the training. What did they teach you over there? He says, they taught me that I shouldn't feel guilty about what I did. <laughs> so instead of teaching him how to behave, what to do right, they teach you don't feel guilty about what you did. So, the, so that's, that's a new... So the thing is, when we're teaching, we have to teach to do the right thing. What did, Zimri, what did Zimri do, the leader? What he did was, he went and he taught them, it's okay what you're doing. You know what? I'll do the same too. I'm going to protect you. You know, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do the same thing. So what did he do? He continued God's anger and he continued the destruction. On the other hand, so he did an act of goodness sort of for his people, but it ended up doing just the opposite. Rebbe used to once uh, give an example. He says, you know, sometimes there's a fire burning. So people say, let's put out the fire, you know. So let's go to fire. So looking, looking. So we're looking. There's no water. Oh, some gasoline. Let's, you know, it's a liquid. You know, you're making the fire bigger. <laughs> what are you doing? You know, but it's liquid, you know. If you don't think what you're doing, and you, you think that you're putting out the fire, but you're actually making it. So here he was trying to put out the fire, what Hashem's anger was doing. What was he supposed to do? He was supposed to tell them, don't behave like that. Repent, stop what you're doing. But instead of taking a leadership position, he thought his kindness would be to intervene and say, okay, it's okay what they're doing. Like, don't feel guilty about it. You know, like, 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 the, like in that story. On the other hand, Pinchas was a, a very kind, a very gentle soul. He had this characteristic from his father, grandfather Aaron. But it came to a moment where he had to show, do something, an act of strength in order to protect everybody else. Because if he didn't do it, then so many more people would be lost and would have been hurt because of that. So even though the act itself was an act of cruelty, but yet it accomplished and it saved an endless amount of life. You know, it happens a lot of this. This explanation is also used in war. You know, a lot of times, you know, you don't want to kill the enemy. Or Israel is surrounded by endless amount of enemies who's trying to do harm. So we try to fight back the best way we can to give back to protect ourselves. People say, "Oh, innocent people are getting killed." Overwhelming power. You see what's going on today in in France? What's going on? In every and everywhere, so sometimes it's it seems cruel to 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 bomb and, and to do innocent people get hurt, get killed. But if there's no other way to stop it, there's no other way to protect everybody. So what are we going to do? So that becomes the mitzvah is becomes to protect everybody, to protect all the lives that would have been lost if we didn't protect ourselves. That's why people go to war, not because they like, not because they're cruel, they want to kill other people. It's not out of hatred, it's out of trying to protect. So, but what is the lesson that we see from this? We see from here that the people were critical. They didn't quite understand. People were critical of what Pinchas did. People were critical because, why were they critical? Because they didn't really know. They found fault. 
They found fault with what he did. To them, what Pinchas was doing was something terrible. And they didn't think, they, didn't, they weren't against, the Rebbe explained, the actual act, what he was doing, but they said that his motives, there was ulterior motives, they said. You know, they said, you're just an angry person, or you're just a, a miserable person. You know, sometimes you'll say about somebody, you know, a teacher, you know, sometimes you say a teacher, and we have those teachers too, you know, sometimes teachers just let out, you know, their frustration on the kids, you know, they have a hard time at home, and they come to, to the classroom, and then they'll let out, you know, whatever anger they have built up, you know, so they were saying, you know, you're not really disciplining the children, you're not disciplining the class, but you're just getting, I'm going to tell you this one too, so, you know, this, 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 this teacher calls up the parent, he says to, he says to the parent, he says, you know what, your child is just totally out of control. I can't handle him. He turns over my whole classroom and he, and he keeps on complaining about this kid. He says, I can't, I don't know what to do with this kid. So finally, the, the, the parent says to him, he says, what do you want me to do? It's my kids. God uh, gave them to me. What should I do? I shouldn't feed them. I should throw them out. What do you want me to do? He says, put them on Ritalin. He says, you know, well, he says, Ritalin? But it's a stigma. People will say that he's crazy, this and that. He says, no, 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 no. He says, we'll do it in a very discreet way. He says, we're not going to do it in a way. He says, every day, you know, you can't give the kid, you can't give the medicine by itself, you have to give them. He says, every day, I'm going to call upon him to get my coffee, and there's going to be a pill over there. He'll take the pill, and give him the coffee. Nobody's going to know. Fine. Goes by a couple of weeks, he meets his teacher at a wedding. He says to the teacher, How's my kid doing? An angel. He's the best kid, never seen somebody well behaved. It's just a total change. Wow. So he comes home, the father says to the kid, he says, Kids, what's going on? How does things happen? Yeah, the kid says, Every day in the morning, I put the pill into my teacher's coffee. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so the perception changes upon the teacher. <laughs> so, okay, no, but. You know, again, not, not to tell you, teachers work very hard sometimes, you know, we have all kinds of teachers work very hard and they deserve all the credit uh, being, having been there. So I know that that's uh, firsthand. They don't always get enough credit. But the point over here is the people made a mistake. They accused Pinchas of having this bad core inside himself that he acted out of anger, out of cruelty, out of his own evil inclination. He didn't act out of purity. They were finding fault in his act. They weren't disagreeing with what he did, but they're disagreeing, why you? That means that you are not a good person. Shem says, no, he's a good person. So what does this tell us? A lot of times, look, we started off, you know, you see somebody is praying in the synagogue and they're praying very intently they're saying word for word and then you go by and says eh they're just faking it you know they're not they're not really praying uh, you know he's just you know showing off you know everybody should look that they're really uh, they're serious that would be finding fault with somebody else or then somebody would uh, make a nice donation you know publicly announce a nice donation because they ah, they don't really want to give charity. They just want to show off, you know, how much you know they're giving. They're good people. In everything that we find, you can always find 
fault and say, eh, what the person is doing is not really meaningful. So that's wrong. Don't find, we shouldn't find fault. Why shouldn't we find fault? First of all, even if a person does something for an ulterior motive, let's say you're doing something because you want something for it. Especially, by the way, when it comes to tzedakah. Say you have an ailment, or say you have a special need for uh, your child, or say that you have, and you say, I'm going to give to charity so that my child will be healthy, so that I get rid of it, so that's something, that's perfectly okay. Not only it's okay, God says you can test God. He says, test me with tzedakah. If you give tzedakah, we do it all the time. We make, a, we make yusker, mishaberach, all the time. You always say, you're giving, you're giving tzedakah for, yusker is remembering, but here we're talking mishaberach. You're actually talking, you're making a blessing for somebody for good health, and you're saying, I'm going to give tzedakah for them. So that, what does that mean? That means that tzedakah, so you're going to say it is a tzedakah, so of course. Now, but even things that one has to do for the right motive. Just for purity, you should do the mitzvah without any, you should pray because you want to pray to God. But maybe, you know, you're, you're praying over here. Maybe when you're home, you don't pray so much. But when you come to the shul, to the synagogue, you show off like you're praying very good. So let's see. So first of all, it says one should always study and do mitzvahs, even though he's not doing it for the right reasons, he should still do it. Don't stop him doing it. Why? Because you start with for the wrong reasons, eventually you'll come to the right reasons. Matter of fact, Rambam says, how do you start to teach a child? You tell him, if you're going to sit and learn the Chumash, you're going to learn the Torah, I'm going to give you candy. Or you give them, you bribe them. So, is there something wrong? Actually, there is a very deeper meaning in it. It says, even while I'm doing something for an ulterior motive, but within the ulterior motive is also a purity of heart as well. It's just not open. The outside, it looks like ulterior motive. But inside, from the inside, there is a positive. So number one, never criticize or be critical of anybody who's go- doing a good thing and try to be condescending or try to say that they're doing something wrong because even if they were doing it for what you think they were doing it, they're still doing the right thing. And you criticizing are doing the wrong thing. They are doing the right thing because they should be doing it. And number two... Sometimes, perhaps a person is bothered by what somebody else is doing. Why? Because they're, maybe they're jealous. Maybe they're jealous of what somebody else does. And maybe they feel that the other person is greater, is more accomplished than them. When they see somebody else is doing so many good things, is so successful, is doing accomplishment... Now, in addition to being 
maybe jealous or uh, being haughty because you say, how could that person be better than me? On top of that, you're lazy too. So, because in order to to go ahead and accomplish, you got to work hard for it. So the easy way to get around it is to find fault. Eh, the other person, what he's doing, just to play it down, say that, criticize it, say that. Therefore, you can go back to sleep. You don't have to worry about it. And it's going to stop bothering you. If you are, sometimes we pretend that we are so bothered about somebody else's, of their ulterior motives, well, you are the one that may have the ulterior motives, even more than the other, other person. Rabbi says, therefore, that we must be very, very careful. And it's very important not to be critical. And the most important thing is, we don't really know what's in the other person's heart. You can never know. I mean, you may think, you may think you have the evidence, you know, for sure, but you don't know for sure. Never assume, never come to conclusions, and always give the other person the benefit of the doubt. And you have to judge everybody, you have to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Don't look down at anybody, don't look despairingly on anyone, don't think that you're better than anyone. Sometimes they used to say, there's two ways of making yourself feel good. One way is to get up on a chair so you're higher than the other person. The other way is to bury the other one on the ground so that you'll be higher. So what is it that you want to do? Do you want to try to find fault, bury the other person and try to make him the bad guy or the, and therefore you're going to look good? Or you want to do something about it? Jealousy is not always bad if it leads to positive matters. Sometimes we see somebody else who's accomplished, who's doing good things, and I say, look, I'd like to do what he does too. That's nothing bad. There's an expression that says in the uh, sages, says, Kinas sofrim tarbe The jealousy of the scribes will increase more wisdom, which means if somebody gets a good grade in, in class and I want to get a grade like them, there's nothing wrong with that. Contrary, want to work hard to be able to accomplish? That's nothing wrong with that. That is on the contrary. One should always want to reach a higher madriga, a higher level, a higher place. We don't want to always sit back. Look at the other person. In generally, one can know, when it comes to physical matters, worldly matters, always look on someone that has a little bit less than you and be happy with what you have. In other words, thank Hashem and say, look, you know, you've given me this. There are people that don't have this and the people have much less. Thank you, Hashem, for giving me what I have. Be thankful, bless Hashem, appreciate what you have. But when it comes to spiritual matters, never say, okay, I'm already happy. You know what, I do one mitzvah, you know, my neighbor doesn't do any mitzvahs. I do one mitzvah, I'm done. No? Look at somebody who does three mitzvahs and say, you know what? I would like to do an additional mitzvah myself. I want to be like the other person. You can't say, oh, no, I'm satisfied. When it comes to spiritual matters, being satisfied is not a good characteristic. You always want to do a little bit more. 
But when it comes to physical things, thanks Hashem. The thing is, most of the things that we feel is really, we can change in our mind the way we look at things. Because many times, or most of the times, we can't really change a lot that is happening to us. We don't have choices in a lot of matters. They're destined, that's just the way, as they say, we are dealt a set of cards. You know, this is what you were dealt, that's it. This is where you were born, this is where you were placed. We didn't, nobody asked us, nobody chose it. It's just, that's where we are. But our attitude, how we feel about it, that we could change. We could change our mindset. That we could change. We can control what we choose to focus. So if we want to choose to focus and we want to say, I'm satisfied, thank God for what I have because the other person has less, then you won't be jealous of the other person. If you choose to focus and you say, look how the person tried hard, look how they accomplished. You know what, if I try hard, I can accomplish the same thing. That is a very positive act. The bottom line is that we must take it to heart and very strongly appreciate whatever we have and we also must cherish other people. We must respect other people, we must appreciate other people and we must always say to ourselves, I don't really know what is in the other person, what they're going through. I don't know what their circumstances is. Only God can see to the heart. God can judge. So while the Jewish people in the story of Pilchas, they, they wanted to judge Pilchas, God says, don't judge him. Because I know what's in his heart, and you don't. So you can't be judged. Only judge is Hashem. God knows that. And if we put it through our head, it'll help us live much healthier and happier lives. Because we won't feel bad for ourselves if we don't have something. We'll strive for perfection ourselves. But certainly, we won't look for faults in any other person. We'll accept them and we'll say who they are. Of course, if we love them, we care about them, we may, in a friendly way, encourage them. We may, you know, help them along with their struggles. But never in a way of judgment or never in a way of condescending and never in a way of criticism or being critical but only in a way of love and of care. And this is one of the things that the Rebbe taught us all the time. As opposed to sometimes other streams, they are very uh, critical. If you don't uh, live up to their standards, they're gonna, you know, they're very... The Rebbe says, no, love every Jew for what he is. You know, do accept him for what he is. Don't look what he didn't do, look what he did do. <laughs> and don't look just on the surface, but look at the soul, look what's inside, look at the potential, look at what we're going to have. So this is the lesson that we have from Pilchus. Okay, so... This. So, um, at this time, though, um, Aaron was the Kohen, his son, Eliezer, was the Kohen? Actually, this story, good question. At this particular story, Aaron has passed away already, yeah. and Eliezer was the Kohen Gadol. He was the high priest already. So wouldn't his son then biologically be a Kohen? Oh, that's, what I that's a very about. good, yeah. very insightful question. I'm going to give you the answer. Good question. I'll give you the, I'll give you the right answer, the good answer. Um, you see, when Aaron was made a Kohen, the children 
of Aaron were alive at that point, they were anointed at that time, they became the Kohen. But Pinchas was born afterwards. No, no, Pinchas was already Pinchas was already born at the time. So he did not, the only ones that became a Kohen was Aaron, Nodov, Aviyu, Elozov, Yisomer. Those were the four. Aaron and his four sons became Kohen. And anybody that was born after that became automatic a Kohen. But those children of El Ozer, like Pinchas, who was already born at that time, he was anointed as a Kohen, he remained a Levi. God made him a Kohen at this point. So Pinchas earned the Kahuna at that point over here. Up to this point, he wasn't a Kohen. And that's why he says, now he became a Kohen. That's why Pinchas became a Kohen, but he wasn't a Kohen then. This is for another time, but you know, not judging people. So you know, we are not to judge him either. So, you know, and we have to know that his intentions were good. It turned out that what he did, he wanted to delay them. He figured that he did all kinds of tactics, but at the end of the day, it turned out that what he did didn't work, and that's why he needed an atonement. And that's actually one of the reasons, I didn't go through the whole entire talk of the Rebbe, that's one of the reasons the Rebbe says that the issue over here wasn't the fact they were degrading um, Pinchas because his grandfather worshipped idols. Because then Aaron wouldn't be a good person to offset that because Aaron also had a little connection with idols because he actually built the golden calf over there. So that's why the Rebbe learns the issue here was cruelty versus kindness. And they accused the tri- the, uh, Pinchas of cruelty and God says, no, he's kind. It's Aaron versus uh, uh, cruelty versus kindness, and they did kind. And like we spoke before, sometimes cruelty can be dressed up as kindness. Sometimes kindness can be dressed as cruelty. It takes a keen eye to be able to know sometimes the difference between what you're saying that you are. And you know, people, a lot of times, they don't say what they mean. They mislead you. But you know, that's it. You know, people don't people don't know always the truth. But God knows the truth. <laughs> we can't judge because we don't know the truth. One comment I read that Hor, I believe, was Miriam's husband. Son, son of Miriam. Yeah. 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 He was afraid. Yes, that Aaron was afraid they would come after him. Yeah, I said that. Yeah, but that's that's in Rashi. But uh, but but that's not an excuse. That wouldn't be an excuse for Aaron. No, of course he was afraid. You know when he said that. No. So, but that wouldn't really be. That wouldn't be an. It's not an acceptable excuse. But yet, you see, when Hashem didn't let Aaron to Israel, he didn't quote that sin. He quoted the sin because they beat the rock and not, uh, not that. Okay, but there's, okay, like you say, for another time. We'll discuss it another time. Okay, thank you everybody for coming. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure. I know.
check with Sarah and see what she says. I hope that your daughter is okay. Yeah. And she'll be okay. I think it's just um, a matter that you got to go through. It's a scheduled... Uh, it tomorrow, the surgery? Tomorrow, yeah. No, no, no. Keep her in your prayers. Yes. Hope you learned something. Yeah. You're new to the class. A lot. <laughs> a lot. Great class. Okay. What? You don't know what? I don't know what a Kohen is. Okay, a Kohen means a priest. That's oh, okay. In the Jewish community, there is a Kohen, Levi, and Yisrael. Those are the categories. The Kohens are the ones that serve in the temple. The Levites sang in the temple. And the Israelites were all of us are Israelites. Kohen means a, a priest, in other words. Serves in the temple. Got it? Okay, sorry, today no schmoozing after the class. Sarah's away. No, just leave it there. I'll take it.